Learn more about Bailey, Katie, and the team by visiting purelandscaping.com. All right, guys. So today we have Lauren. She is from Echo, and she's actually one of my really good friend's wife. Uh, DJ Judge, I love him. He's amazing. And uh, me and him and I share a super tight bond, and his wife is into horticulture big time. And that is so cool. She works at Echo. We're going to talk a little bit about Echo and her part there and her journey and her passion in horticulture. So um, it'll be a really cool conversation. I'm excited to have it. So welcome, Lauren. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. For sure. So I just kind of want to start off by talking about Echo. For people that don't know what Echo is, where is it? What do they do? And what's their mission? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, we're based here in Fort Myers, right? And so uh, (laughs) I've heard people say that um, Echo is Southwest Florida's best kept secret. Um, and I feel yeah. like you either know about Echo and you love Echo or you haven't heard about it. Um, right. But Echo is really a network of farms, um, not just here in Southwest Florida, but also all over the globe. Um, we have farms in Southeast Asia and different parts of Africa and where we have networks that are um, really worldwide. And so that's the purpose of Echo when you think about network um, so Echo exists to um, provide those networking and resources to specifically small-scale farmers um, across the globe. So here in the United States, that looks like doing trainings, and we host interns, we host tours, we host events on our demonstration farm in Southwest Florida. And um, the purpose of that is to demonstrate sustainable agriculture, small scale food resourcing techniques for folks who are maybe trying to grow food better for their families or for their community. Um, and so whether it's like nonprofits, large scale um, worldwide, or it's just like a family trying to share extra produce with their neighbors, Echo has resources and training and supplies and plants and seeds um, for folks. So that's what we do. That's crazy. That's yeah. awesome. Um, so it, have you been involved in like, so how does that work from helping people from other countries in place? How, like, cause I know there's different zones and different environments. So you can grow some things here, some things there. Do people come over here or do you go over there? Or because everything can be done over video and virtually, do you guys like meet virtually and teach people? So how does that work? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, the goal for, um, I think, sustainable agriculture in general is for sure to be able to like meet people in their context. So while Echo as a whole kind of focuses on that tropical agriculture, um, we're in that zone. That's what we can do. Um, Florida's temp, like our environment is a whole lot more like South America than it is the rest of the United States. So when we're demonstrating things on the farm, it's directly applicable. We're able to grow the same plants that folks are growing in maybe these developing countries or in these contexts um, where like they're familiar with food that we can grow here which is really cool and really exciting Um, but when it comes to that worldwide focus um, like our farm in Thailand is focused on supporting those people there it has a seed bank it has a nursery it has those resources they're equipping folks there they're run by natives so even though we're here in the US and our focus is North American food security um, the farms that are overseas are going to be focusing on their context and their folks wow so that's super cool so does echo have 
legit farms there or do they partner with people or how does that work? It's really both, honestly, which is so cool. So we call it um, a small farm resource center. And so in the same way that here in Fort Myers, we have a demonstration farm, we're running research, we have a seed bank, we have a nursery, we have that replicated overseas and it's run by folks there. And so it's kind of like a hub. I think that when we think about like development or food security, we want to be able to, we don't want to like hold all the knowledge and have people come to us. We want to empower the folks that are in their communities already doing it. So how can we give you a packet of seeds and you already know how to grow those things and now you have more to grow for your neighbors? Like what are the ways that we can empower communities that are already there instead of just trying to come in with our knowledge and like share or whatever, have people come to us. That's not realistic. Instead, like how do we participate with folks that are already in their communities, already know their community and what their community needs. Um, and I think it's cool to think about that within the context of the United States as well, because anyone living in their neighborhood would maybe be able to identify families that they know that could use an extra bag of fresh lettuce or something like that. And so I think that Echo um, really promotes or embodies that idea that anyone can grow a little bit of extra food for somebody. Anyone has the capacity to help in whatever context they're in. And so here in the United States, um, I think about our nursery and how we focus on selling edible perennials. And those are things that you can grow anywhere that, you can, that are going to, is not the 40 day kale that all of a sudden you've grown it and now 40 days later you got to pull it out because it's done. But instead, what are those things that um, you can plant it and it's easy, it's edible. Kids walking past are able to like identify that as food, um, like fruit and things like that is so accessible to people. And that's nutrition. Those are vitamins. Those are minerals that we're missing in our diet a lot of the time. Yes. Huge. Oh my gosh. So my sister-in-law is huge on healthy eating and going into like she's raising a bunch of children and now i have a child of my own and so like you know you don't think about it as much or i mean at least i didn't when you know just going to the fridge getting something to eat eating it but when you're raising a child it's like you start to look at everything learn what's in the ingredients and it's like wow there's a lot of horrible stuff in the u.s in the in the food that that they produce and you know I have a, a gentleman on my team named Eric. He's super into permaculture and, and growing things and um, to eat. And it's it's really neat. And so my world is kind of blending with his, blending with my sister-in-law's and also getting to know you and get to know Echo better. It's like it's opening up a whole different area as far as food source that I've never really been exposed to. And um like my knees, my joints, like I feel like I'm an 80-year-old man a lot of times. It's like I'm just not getting the nutrients that I need. And so um, the a lot of the food that is just readily available and mass-produced, um, I feel like is not that good for us. And so like when we can be able to produce that on our own, I think that's so cool. I think being this world is so based off of convenience and it drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. But I'm also like, like I have Amazon, I have Amazon packages at my house yeah. like three times a week. Yeah. But it's like, it's that such convenience culture. And I feel like it's ripped food out of kind of the the day-to-day -day family thing just because everything's so busy. But yeah, I think interest is taking like people our age and it, all demographics, I think too, are really starting to gravitate towards, towards this and towards food. And so- uh, yeah, 
A hundred percent. I think that um, like COVID, for example, Mm -hmm. really exposed like our supply chains and our um, production is not always dependable. And especially when we're thinking about folks that like live more on those margins of like, man, their budget is really tight and their their margins are tight. And when something like a a pandemic happens, then where is their food source coming from? And if our grocery stores are not able to be stocked even for a week, um, that creates a whole gap within the nutrition, especially within kids, especially within schools, especially within the elderly. So um, yeah, I think that like, it's cool to see how I think our age demographic, because we lived through COVID, has kind of like seen this other side of the globalization and the industrialization of food. And it's like, oh, wait, there are other ways we could live differently if we needed to. And so something that I have um, been worried about too, especially, you know, I keep saying this, but now with the kid, it's like, oh my gosh, I got to make sure she's got food. And it's super cool. Like the age that she's at, um, we're like blending up like sweet potatoes and pears and avocados. And, um, and we're blending that up and feeding it to her. So it's like, even the food that we could eat, we could grow here, we could eat, um, my little girl would be able to have food too, which is obviously more important than just me eating. Um, so yeah, I think sustainable living is as a whole, um, is really growing. Um, I'm, our culture continues to go more and more fast paced, like every day, every year, like even the videos that we have to produce for marketing now are just like, they have to be short. They have to be sweet. They have to be so enticing. They have to be very interesting or else we're not going to watch them. And so it's like, it's very, it's very crazy. It's a crazy culture. Um, but I really think that growing food for individual families is coming back around. And I, I hope that does because that would make the supply chain way more, um, well, us less dependable on it, I guess. Yeah. Like you were saying, I really, I never thought about it. Like, I went to school, there was always food in the lunchroom. When I went home, there was always food. And I never ever would think about a supply chain issue. The first time I ever even thought about that was when COVID hit. And I was like, oh my gosh, like these are real things. Like sometimes deadlines can't be meet. And that means people might be shooting each other for food. (laughs) Like it can get legit. Um, So yeah, that's crazy stuff. Um, Enough about that. Tell me more about Echo. So, and I want to hear about how did you get started at Echo? Um, What's your journey in horticulture? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like you, I never, I never really thought about food growing up. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. um, we didn't live out in the country even. So like farmland, like, yeah, I knew it existed, (laughs) but it wasn't um, like a part of my daily life. Um, And so when I thought about plants, I really thought about it from like a, you know, my mom plants flowers in the front yard Mm -hmm. in the summer. Um, So it really wasn't until I moved to Chicago and um, I completed my teaching degree and I started teaching um, on the west side of Chicago and um, I loved it. It was such a beautiful place to be um, and I really just, um, just became aware of how I can be the best teacher in the world, mm-hmm. but if my kids are coming to class and they haven't had breakfast or mm-hmm. they don't have an adequate diet, like um, memorizing your math facts is not on the top of the list. Right. And so kind of realizing that like basic needs mm-hmm. um, weren't being met where I was at. And so um, 
in that process, um, it was just fascinating how it also kind of like intersected with my own story of like mm -hmm. eating disorders. And so food was just like this constant thing in my head. And so as I kind of transitioned out of college into working full time and being a teacher, just realizing that, um, just food security is a huge issue. And mm -hmm. so even though ECHO as an organization has historically really focused on international, like third world or developing context, small scale subsistence farmers overseas in these villages, um, they also do have like a community gardening track and a school garden track and urban gardening. And so I knew of ECHO um, and then it was really when the pandemic hit that I was kind of faced with, okay, am I going to teach over Zoom? Or I know that Echo has this internship program, so I could go down and be an intern at Echo um, instead of having to live in Chicago during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I came down um, right during the pandemic, and um, I was the community garden intern, and I just had these opportunities to not only like invite school groups to echo and to see our gardens and to see you know like when kids get to like taste mm -hmm. and touch and smell and see colors and the different textures and like soil and we also had vermicompost which is the worms that are decomposing mm -hmm. food scraps and you know these like fifth graders are just holding <laughs> worms in their hands and they're like whoa <laughs> and that just like just something came alive for me i think in um just that understanding that like for kids to be excited about plants and mm -hmm. about healthy food and about our soil and the entire ecosystems right. that are underneath the ground and are that are that are allowing these plants to grow so that we have this delicious cool food mm -hmm. um that was just like a whole new world for me and right. i loved that yeah. and so I think that I feel like the most alive and the most excited about the future when I'm able to like go to classes and like talk to kids about healthy eating and mm -hmm. foods and how a seed literally sprouts and grows into a new plant and you can watch that happen. Right. right. Um, so I, I, I loved that. And um, so that's kind of how I got exposed to Echo. And um, I actually finished my internship and went back up to teach um, in Chicago again. And okay. um, long story short, now I'm back here at Echo and wow. I'm the propagation manager. So Echo itself has a demonstration farm and we have interns that take care of that farm. Okay. So there's the community garden internship mm -hmm. that I did and nine other or seven other internships um, that folks can come and be a part of and then we also sell plants to the public mm -hmm. um, and we do trainings and events so my job as propagation manager is to supply plants not just for the farm but also for the nursery that we can sell to the public okay um and then i also do trainings so i'm teaching okay. folks how to graft i'm teaching folks mm -hmm. about disease management mm -hmm. pest management um and um did i say grafting grafting yeah, stuff yeah. and um yeah so that's really, what i get to do yeah. full time like i can't believe i'm paid really to cool. like yes, hang out with right? plants oh I my love gosh my life. that's so cool so that's that's something what you just said there i can't believe i'm getting paid to play with plants like that's how like when i fell in love with the landscape industry and plants outdoors it was when a customer asked me to do a landscape job and i was just used to mowing grass and so mm -hmm. they asked me to do a landscape job and i walked into the nursery and it was just like a sense of peace just fell over me. Like there was birds, there was butterflies, there was beautiful plants, there was some water. Yeah. It was just like in the morning, it was beautiful, yeah. sunrise. And it was just like, 
I cannot believe I'm getting paid to be here. I mm-hmm. felt like I was on my fifth grade graduation trip. Yeah. And it was just like, this is cool. 100%. And so I think, and I hope that other people can find that too, but there's something so special about being outdoors and connecting with the outdoors and plants. Yeah, I think that that is, like you touching on that is mm-hmm. such a particularly deep thing for right. someone of faith because mm-hmm. like when we look at scripture like god himself went and planted a garden yes. like to do the work of the soil mm-hmm. is to like put our hands where god was to right. do put our hands like where god has been and what god mm-hmm. has created and there's just such depth to that like i could go right. on a whole tangent that i'm not gonna do right now but <laughs> no, like there's such a there's such a deep story in scripture when we think about the people of the land and that was noah and that was some of the kings and right. judges and mm-hmm. um god just like takes special time to like highlight highlight those things and mm-hmm. i think that for those of us who are working in agriculture we have such a cool opportunity to share about that to other folks Mm -hmm. because like in our culture there is stigma and Mm -hmm. there is like this understanding that like oh working with your hands or even like getting dirt on your clothes or your blue collar or like whatever there it is where like if you open the pages of the bible like Mm -hmm. god is blessing that like it he the whole every plant is like singing testimony to who god is so like we get to be out there preaching to Mm -hmm. these plants every single day about who god is and that like just i just think that like that just overflows out of us mm-hmm. because we're getting to like be with Jesus mm-hmm. every single day right. with every single plant that we're For working sure. with. And you know what? Just being in the garden and we have, so we have Pure Landscaping, our big design and renovation company. And that's a lot of, you know, hustle, make sure it's all beautiful. But the Fort Myers Garden Service, our maintenance company, it's, it's not like hack and go like everybody else you actually go in these in these customers gardens and you go through and you prune and it's gentle and you notice the little things like you notice the the there haven't been many butterflies around you know is is Mm -hmm. because there's not many blooms or you know did the hoa cut off all the blooms in between my visit like (laughs) oh my gosh now there's no more butterflies you know but but it's just like there's so much beauty when you slow down and you work in the landscape and um you get a super cool environment to do that in over at Echo. And they are Christian based, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's super cool. So they have a great foundation, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and that is really, really interesting. So how does um faith play into the workplace at Echo? Is it kind of a thing that's openly talked about or what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that every person in their own experience of faith is going to um, just embody it differently in how Mm -hmm. they work. Um, But I think that Echo as a whole, like, I mean, we've got it, like, if you want to look on the website, we've written it out. But um, Mm -hmm. I think especially with um, folks that are working with food security, and that's really the focus of what Echo does, trying to provide food resources in general to folks who are struggling with um, food security. And to be honest, a lot of those folks here in, I mean, if we're going to talk about Florida, a lot Mm -hmm. of those folks are farm workers themselves. I mean, I think about Immokalee down the street. Those Mm -hmm. are migrant farm workers. And that's the hottest, the biggest food desert that there is here in Southwest Florida. And so I think that... um, 
for me, working in agriculture doesn't make sense outside mm-hmm. of my faith because, mm-hmm. um, first off, being able to grow your own food and provide for yourself is a huge thing of dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, and historically, historically, folks that who who have had to grow their own food have not been dignified, have been looked down upon by culture. Mm. Um, and I think that in the exact opposite way, the Lord looks at them and they, he says, you are doing my work. You are people of mine. I love what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I think what you're doing is worthy of respect. And so for someone to come in and tell farmers or to tell folks um, what you're doing is the Lord's work and what you're doing mm-hmm. matters, that is lifting them up from a bunch of voices that have told them that they're not worth it, that right. they're not worthy of respect. Um, and um, I was actually talking to um, a farmer yesterday in Immokalee, we were able to go there and she was saying like, there's such a unique um, opportunity when you are working in agriculture mm-hmm. and then you're working alongside folks who are working in fields. Yes. And that is um, often really looked down upon. Mm-hmm. But if she's like, if you look at me and you look at him, we look the exact same and I'll be walking down the street and I'm like, like, I don't want people to think that I'm working in the fields. And then she was like, whoa, I got to check myself. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that that I'm believing that like that this is not worthy of respect? Right. Like, I need to follow, like, see what God sees me. He sees mm-hmm. me as worthy of respect. He sees me as dignified. And I don't have to feel ashamed of having dirt on my clothes or whether I'm wearing a Patagonia sweatsuit or I'm wearing thrifted right. stuff to work out in the fields. Like, it yeah. doesn't matter. Those mm-hmm. things don't matter. So... I think that God has given us the special responsibility of stewardship of mm-hmm. our creation. Um, and that can look like working alongside folks who are marginalized, but it can also look like, how are we caring for creation? And what am I doing in my yard that's either helping creation mm-hmm. or um, causing causing damage to what God has done? Mm-hmm. Let's think about like the ecosystems that God has created, right? We all live within this system of plants and soil and insects and pests, and mm-hmm. they all serve these niches, right, of our um, system. And if we're going to be destroying one part of that ecosystem, it's going to affect the rest. And when we live on soil that has been eroded and destroyed and killed um, and isn't alive, that affects us. Mm-hmm. And if we're living among dead things, mm-hmm. we are going to feel dead ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I think that understanding that the inputs that we have, whether we live on a yard or we live on a farm, like mm-hmm. whatever we're doing in our around the things that grow out of the soil really matters. And that Mm -hmm. speaks to what we believe about the world. And so I think that um, to live Christianly in the world is to say, I am a part of a system. I am a part of what God has created in this um, environment, whether it be the grass, whether it be the butterflies, whether it be even those pests, Mm -hmm. like how can I care for them realizing that they play a part in what God has created? Um, Right. I think here in Florida, like we have, we have the special privilege of living along the Gulf and those Mm -hmm. algae blooms um, speak a lot to the way that we care for our planet or whether we, how we care for creation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that stands in judgment against Mm -hmm. us in the way that we have historically um, not cared about our 
um, the ways that we care for um, the plants that we live around. So, yeah, um, absolutely. No, for real. Like what you reap is what you sow. Yeah. And that's, 100%. and that's so big. And, you know, the, all these new constructions, speaking of my house, it's like they, they just come in and bring in massive field dirt and like all the soil here is totally crap. But it's like, you know, I've, I purchased this house. And so now I'm responsible for it. Like this is, this is, I'm accountable for how I take this, you know? And so like taking the soil and I don't know if this is where everybody's heads goes, but like taking the soil, like something that really stood out to me is when you said like dead soil, like Mm -hmm. all this field dirt that they put for these houses is all dead soil. Like it's deep, crappy, just sand basically. Mm -hmm. And so being able to take that tilling in compost, tilling in different types of soil mixes, um, and really getting fertile ground first Mm -hmm. and then allowing things to grow into that, whether it's food or um, it could be firebush plants to Mm -hmm. help the pollinators, you know, Mm -hmm. it could be anything. Um, And you doing that is doing the work of restoration. mm -hmm. Like you're doing, you're living out the gospel by going (laughs) and restoring the soil right there. That's crazy. Right. right. Absolutely. I love your perspective on that. I think that's super cool. And I could definitely resonate with that. Um, I like that. I feel like that gives me, gives me some good foundation to go off of. Um, when I first landscaped my property, I was only thinking in, you know, I'm just going to make it beautiful, beautiful. And then I started talking with Eric Moore and I had this gentleman, Joshua, that worked with us for a little while. And he was very passionate about permaculture as well. And between the two of them, they got me inspired to take some areas of my yard and turn them into areas that I can grow food in. Cause you know, I want a lot to be able to play with my kids, but or my kid, but hopefully kids. Um, but there are areas where I can put food. And um, that's something I've kind of been inspired to do myself. Um, one day, maybe in like five years or so, my goal is to have a few acres so I can have myself like a two acre farm where we can just self-produce all of our food. Yeah. And you know, that'll take a ton of time, but what you reap is what you sow. And how cool is it to knock on your neighbor's door and say, Hey, I brought you some mangoes. I brought you some avocado. Um, like what a gift. Oh my gosh. Y'all check this out. Um, she brought us a gift today. She brought us a few things. So one, the avocado mm-hmm. is That's this just like a Brogdon fl- variety. Of okay. Avocado. Sweet. Fun fact. There's a spectrum of avocados. Okay. Some being more watery and some okay. being more oily. Mm-hmm. So that is a Brogdon. And I think it's the perfect Sweet, the perfect sweet spot. This would be some avocado toast Mm -hmm. with a little bit of sea salt, a little squirt of lemon on there. That's how I like it. It's like bomb. So (laughs) this is super cool. It came from Echo Farms, and she Mm -hmm. brought us three other things. This one, you guys might know. This is a star fruit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the like you might also know it as carambola. Okay, um, but it is native to actually South Asian places. And if you have Mm -hmm. an area in your landscaping that is like maybe closer to a ditch or someplace that's like more lower elevation, they're gonna do. They're gonna love those lower elevation places. Whereas avocado, they say like it hates wet feet. Like you want to plant it up a little bit. Okay, so the carambola is great for those like lower places. That is awesome. That's very cool. You know, that's really good because every property is so different Mm -hmm. and. That is so important because so many people are like, oh my gosh, I have a black thumb. It's like, no, you just need a little bit more guidance, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And those little tweaks is what makes or breaks 
It could be a permaculture landscape or a beautiful landscape. You know, those are the little details um, that are so important. So I got two more. I've never heard of either of these. It kind of looks like a small potato. What is this? That is called a sapodilla, and it grows off a tree and I, like it reminds me of an apricot in the way that it grows. Like mm-hmm. if you, it looks like that shape, but um, it'll get squishy when it's when it's ripe, when it's ready to eat. And they also call it brown sugar fruit because Ooh, when you scoop it out, delicious. it tastes like brown sugar. And you know how like pears can be kind of like gritty almost. Yes. It'll taste like that. So okay. that's what reminds me of like the brown sugar that it has a little cool. bit of grit there. But I think it's so delicious. That is exciting. So is it like a dessert thing or is it like um You know, I love it? putting it like on my oatmeal or oh, folks okay. also like put it on a baked sweet potato. But yeah. because it has like that sweet brown sugar vibe, mm-hmm. also yogurt, maybe on top of yogurt, but you can also I'm going to try that, my yogurt. That's awesome. Very cool. All right. This last one, it looks like a mini tomato, but it's not. It's yellow. Yeah. And orangish. It's what in the this? tomato family, Solanaceae. Okay. Um, but it, and it's a South American fruit. It's called Naranjilla. Um, you say that again? <laughs> Naranjilla. Naranjilla. Um, uh, I mean, I sound real American right now, <laughs> but, uh, um, it yeah, that's a fascinating like it grows on a bush, um, but okay. it's sweet and so mm-hmm. it, yeah, it kind of gives those tomato vibe or like eggplant. You know how eggplant's kind of out there on this yes. like bushy thing, um, so it's not like a perennial. It's it it'll produce and then die back, especially okay. here in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, it's sweet and delicious. That's cool. So does it taste like a tomato too? No, it's it's. Gosh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like. Okay, maybe it is like a sweet tomato, sweet, sweet creamy tomato. tomato. Ooh, creamy. Okay, yeah. But tomato not... like gives this acidity that it doesn't have. So I got really you. I follow you. <laughs> so that's that's very cool. Thank you so much for those gifts. Of I will course. thoroughly enjoy those. Yeah. Um. So as far as like some of your favorite fruit that you grow or vegetables, um, or anything else I might be missing. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite ones that you grow that you love? Yeah, I think that here in Southwest Florida, we have the unique privilege of being able to grow so many things. Mm -hmm. I love tropical. (laughs) I think we're just highly blessed. Yes, Um, for sure. But um, when when folks ask me this question, I always have to first say tomato because I think that eating a tomato that you have grown yourself is a singular experience in the sense that tomatoes that you buy at the grocery store are never going to taste the same. Um, That's because they pick them when they're green and then they chemically ripen them. But when you're buying, when you're, yeah, um, that's a whole topic for another day. (laughs) But uh, um, Immokalee, Florida is actually the number one tomato producer in the United States. So most tomatoes that are U.S. grown are going to be shipped out of Immokalee, Florida. Wow, that's but pretty crazy. They pick them green so that they okay. can ship them to wherever, um, mm-hmm. and then they can chemically uh, ripen them. So they taste like green tomatoes. They're because they just chemically ripen them to make them look red, gotcha. but okay. they still have that flavor profile of a green mm-hmm. unripe tomato. All that to say, so when you get to like grow your own tomatoes and you're picking them off, it's like eating candy. And I mean, you like, if you have some thriving tomato plants, you're like handing them out to your neighbors, Mm -hmm. you're bringing them to church Mm -hmm. to get rid of them. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. it just like builds this community of like, ooh, 
eating like a ripe, fresh tomato, nothing's like it. It's mm. like wild. That is awesome. I was um, not expecting that. Yeah, I That's think that cool. tomatoes and and yeah, I got a chance to grow tomatoes for production. And so yeah. I would be in this greenhouse and it was just like these rows of tomatoes. And this was right when I was first getting interested in agriculture. And the mm -hmm. farm manager that I was working for, he said, you know, Lauren, if you spend enough time with the same same plants, mm -hmm. they will start to speak to you. And mm -hmm. I was like, that's ridiculous. That's really <laughs> creepy and weird. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and then one day... Um, my coworker had left the irrigation on. And so in this greenhouse, the tomatoes flooded because the oh, irrigation was no. just running for like 12 hours. And so I get there in the morning and everything is like underwater. These plants are looking awful. There's mold. It smells so bad. Mm. And we, you know, we muck everything out and we're pruning the, the dead leaves. We're trying to see what we can salvage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it took like a week of just like trying to get them back to a good place. And then you know, like a week later, I walked in and I looked at these tomatoes and there, there's like new growth and they're like green again in some places. And I was like, that's mm -hmm. what it means that plants talk to you. Like mm -hmm. I walked in there and I was like, and I could, it was just like they were telling me like, we're going to be okay. <laughs> we got that it. So cool. that was the moment where I was like, wow, this is, these things are alive. Like I'm mm -hmm. not just working with arts and crafts. I'm working with yes. something that is literally communicating, is mm -hmm. communicating with the soil, is communicating with the sun, is communicating with other plants, like the Absolutely. hormones that are running through plants. Like mm -hmm. that's a whole different topic. Right, it's right. insane. The amount of just language that yes. we can learn to speak mm -hmm. the more time you spend um, with plants. Absolutely. That is literally so cool. One of the things you said right there was the plants communicating with each other. Yeah. Some people, some people would be like, okay, shut the heck up. You guys are hippies. You guys are planters. <laughs> but no, there is, I forgot what, yeah. I forgot what vine it is, but there's this one particular story where um, a customer wanted a vine move from one tree to another. I think Bob Cook talked about this. I heard from him. And they wrapped the vine all the way up the tree, but the vine doesn't like to be wrapped all the way, like the, in this way. They're right-handed so, or left-handed. Yes. And like then, so it went the other way, or it all dropped and then started to go up on its own. And the customer was so freaked out. And so it was like, it was a crazy thing. Yeah. But, but, and also like they will grow towards each other or they will grow away from each other. Like there's, they communicate and it's mm -hmm. wild. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's and crazy. that ties into pest management as mm -hmm. well because there's some plants that attract certain types right. of pests. And so you can use those to draw pests away from another type mm -hmm. of plant or vice versa. Like, you really don't want to plant these plants next to each other because they're just not going to, they don't like being right. next to each other. And there's legitimate science behind that. I mean, that's what mm -hmm. chemistry is. That's what biology is. That's what botany is. Yes. And so it's not just a bunch of hippies hanging out. Right, right, right. It's so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. Something that I think is really cool is I was learning a little bit about integrative pest management um, because I, I had a customer who was really into organics, didn't want all the pesticides and stuff straight on their property. So I did some research. I talked to Bob Cook and some other people in the industry and I was learning all the things that I could do organically. You know, there's some like yellow sticky tags that you can put throughout the landscape and hide, but those might catch some beneficials. So I want to be careful of that. But um, you can like buy, I don't know if anybody wants to do this for their kids or whatever, or for themselves if they're crazy like me, but I bought like 10,000 ladybugs on Amazon. 
they literally got shipped to my door and I was living in a, in a RV camper at the time. And my wife's like, do not open those in here. <laughs> we would have to evacuate um, forever. But let me tell you, it's so cool. So I ordered those and you guys are probably like, where the heck is he going with this? Um, so uh, the ladybugs will eat a lot of the like aphids and stuff like that, the stuff that will eat your plants. And so um, you have to put, I learned this after I released a whole bunch of them. Um, you have to put different plants that the ladybugs will be attracted to. So they stay in that little ecosystem that you're creating. Um, so I learned that the hard way, but it is so cool. Like those are called good beneficials. And those are actually brought from uh, China, I believe, because the or the orchards here were getting um, all destroyed and eaten. So I think they brought the, the ladybugs in from China to eat the aphids. Maybe wrong about that, but that was one of Bob Cook's lessons that I think I retained. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, super cool. It's wild. Super um, fun stuff, how everything is an ecosystem. And um, I didn't pay attention too much in science class, even though I, I did enjoy it. Same. I clipped out of <laughs> right. biology in college. Like right. I was out here with no science. Like, oh, okay. I think I want to do soil science. Yep. yep. That's what grad school is for. Yeah. Right. Right. There you go. Um <laughs> So that's, that is super cool. I love that. Um, so I remember talking to DJ at one time, your husband, and he was like, yeah, we're doing stuff here in Chicago with food, man. You'd be so proud of me. And I'm like, what are you doing in, in, in there with food? So tell me a little bit about, were you doing something there with food? What was, yeah. What like? So, um, Back up in Chicago, I was teaching again, um, mm -hmm. and there's some really cool nonprofits in Chicago that um, are doing hydroponics. Okay. Um, Is that like the tower, the food tower? Yeah, thing? so hydroponics, um, and there's a couple different iterations of it. It kind of just depends, like, where you're at. Mm -hmm. um, you know when you're, like, so excited to talk about something and you don't even know where to start? Yes. That's what I'm feeling right now. <laughs> um, but, okay, so hydroponics would look like um, being able to grow certain things like lettuce, for example, okay. um, in cubes or um, in water. So they're floating in water. Normally you'll do, like, a styrofoam something and then plant your seed in that, and then it's just floating in this water. Um and so you're able to compactly grow so much more than you would if you were trying to manage like garden beds. Mm -hmm. um, so your really only limitation then is um, just making sure that you have fertilizer that you can that's water soluble mm -hmm. and you can just buy that very easily. And so they were able to produce like incredible yeah. amounts of greens celery does really well in hydroponics and so um there's incredible systems that you can look up online and mm -hmm. um use that for so um because chicago is obviously very cold and their growing season is very short mm -hmm. um being able to um, get grants to do things like that in low-income areas is really awesome um i think i felt that tension of like wow your growing season up north is very short. Mm -hmm. And so if you have the capacity, the manpower, the funding to do indoor stuff and to get that up and running, incredible. Um, but also I think some of that, like if we're going to talk about what does it look like to sustainably live in an area that's, um, yeah, I think that sometimes my thoughts lean towards, okay, well, like up north, like historically, that was really like 
hunter-gatherer area. That was like they loved meat and you could do that like right. a lot easier because that's where they lived. It was cold. They're not going to be growing stuff year round. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we think about our traditional American diet of like lettuce and carrots, that's a very short growing season up there. Um, and if you're open to looking at more like native crops or indigenous food or mm -hmm. what did folks really eat back then? And a lot of it up north is going to be meat and like for it, like berries and things right. that grow in those colder conditions so it's just a completely different space than we have totally down here different. probably totally different zone too oh i mean 100 percent. yeah you're looking at like you can put things in the ground like their last frost might be the beginning of may wow that's so you're crazy. not putting things in the ground until may and yeah. then your last growing date is 31st of august <laughs> or sorry sorry not august october yeah. the october. 31st of that's still october. not long and i'm yeah. like Bro, I gotta be outside yes. more than this. Oh so I'm so blessed to be right. back down. Here. That is funny. Yeah. So in when you were growing food there, was it done indoors or was it done outdoors at that time? Because is hydroponics indoors or outdoors? Yeah. So for Chicago, because like outside is just not a friendly climate. Um, mm -hmm. It was all indoors. So the okay. Botanical Garden, Chicago Botanical Garden had given funding um, to the nonprofit that I was associated wow. with there on the west side of Chicago. And so we okay. were able to um, work with them to build these systems, which are a lot of money, but they really produced a whole bunch mm -hmm. of food. And the push there was to accept food stamps in those areas wow. because yes. besides that or without that, um, this food really wouldn't be accessible to a lot of folks who are right. um, living in that area. And so would they be able to trade that food, turn that food mm -hmm. stamp into the government and get yeah. continue funding to mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Did that yeah. ever get approved or? Oh yeah, it did. it did. So folks were coming and able to what? use their food stamps for celery, for lettuce, for tomatoes, for all of those things, that which was awesome. just really cool to see. Is that operation still going? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah they're that's up there. You really can look them up there. Cool. Farm on Ogden. Farm in Ogden? Farm on Ogden. Wow. That is really cool. So yeah. I bet that was fun to be a part of that. Yeah. I love that. that. I think. Really cool. Yeah. I mean, I was up there teaching and there's just um, so much like when you're teaching that's a whole different ministry that's a whole different mm -hmm. focus and so um i'm i'm grateful to now be doing agriculture full-time but as i look to the future mm -hmm. um it's just interesting to think or exciting to think about like what what right. might be next that's so cool so my mom is actually a teacher she's been doing it for 30 plus years and uh, so is, so is my dad he's been doing it for like 40 years but long story short they have shared some of those same things like like kids showing up hungry like not having food in their fridge and that's a heartbreaking thing when you're a teacher when you're anybody but especially when you're a teacher because you connect with your kids you love your kids you take care of them and and so i can definitely that hits um hits home when you when you talk about that um it's like man what can i do here to be able to help help those areas but um yeah. something that so we crazy um demonstrate at echo when mm -hmm. it comes to school gardens is here again in that tropical agriculture we have the unique opportunity to have a, a year-round growing season yes. and so schools have the unique opportunity to have accessible food mm -hmm. growing outside on their lawn yeah. year-round so what we demonstrate is planting 
different fruit trees that mm-hmm. produce fruit. Their crop season is at different parts of the year. Yeah. So we have like jackfruit, then we have this star fruit, carambola. We have strawberry fruit tree. We have um, mango. We have mm-hmm. like all of these things that are around our like schoolhouse that we demonstrate. And it's just that idea of what if kids were during recess able to go grab a star fruit? Yeah. What if they were before school able to just eat a mango right there? And mm-hmm. obviously it creates um, or it requires maybe that that systems thinking of, okay, we are going to be producing fruit. So is it going to be okay for fruit to be dropping? Like how can we integrate the community to say we have leftovers and we don't want just them rotting around the school property. Mm-hmm. So come and grab this. But I think fundamentally you can see um, there's been research done to say when there is public sources of food, mm-hmm. instead of that becoming just like, food wasted dropped on the ground and not cared for the exact opposite happens but there becomes this community buy-in of Mm, oh these are our trees we're able to care for this if there's extra we don't want just rats coming we don't want them just rotting so now we're taking ownership because this matters to us um and i think that just like creates this mentality of empowerment and dignity to say like we have control over our food supply and Mm -hmm. we can decide whether these plants are thriving or whether they're just going to go to waste that is so cool. I love a couple words you said, uh, buy-in and ownership. You said some other good stuff too, but those, I love that because that's something to get somebody behind something and involved in something like that's what you need. You need their buy-in. You need them to feel that ownership. And that could be so cool. Like I am very visionary. I love to think of things and realize they're important and chase them. And I'm like, that would be so cool. Like I would love to like just talk like, Hey, what would that look like for our company to, you know, partner with echo and, and then partner with the schools and, you know, cause the schools are all busy, you know, and, you know, just making sure that everybody's safe and they're, they're doing, they're doing their best and you guys are doing your thing. And like our company's over here doing our thing. And, but it's like, if we could just take a little bit of energy and kind of put our brains together and like, I think of an area like Fort Myers Middle School. It's I feel like that's in an area right there or Colonial Elementary. My mom teaches there. Like those are around some areas that I feel like the community would really come together and, and thrive on those community gardens. But that can yeah. be, this is, it could be a whole nother, another conversation, but it's like, I would love to like that right there. I feel like is doing God's work, being able to partner and really, bring that stuff i mean you guys you do that every single day for people all over the world but like on a micro scale it really touched me i'm like man that'd be that could be so cool we can make a difference doing that but 100 percent. i think that what you said there of like you've got your things that you're doing really well i have my things echo has this and then Mm -hmm. there's these schools and we're all like functioning at the best we can but i do really think that it it all it has to take is just those I want to call them like network weavers or the people who say, oh, wait, I know somebody or like, oh, we have extra of this. Do you want it? Or we Mm -hmm. have some extra starfruit trees. Do you want them? Like where where can those connections happen? Because I think that in community is when growth really happens. Like Mm -hmm. I don't have the capacity to do everything, but I can share the extra trees that I have or the extra plants or the extra 
training that mm-hmm. I have, you know, and like you also have things to share and the schools has space to share or whatever Absolutely. it is. And so if we can all just like use the gifts that God has given us and have those people who say, I'm going to do take the initiative. I'm mm-hmm. going to spark this conversation. What can you do with it? Mm-hmm. That's how change happens. Absolutely. Gosh, I, I, I love getting inspired. <laughs> and like, I feel like that, that stuff could be so, so impactful for people's families. Um, and you know what? And and it would be really cool for people to be able to have that community garden, but I think it would inspire a lot of people to bring that to their backyards. And so the the eight year old little boy that, you know, his mom works two jobs and, you know, his dad's working three jobs or whatever, you know, everybody's working their tail off. You know, a little boy goes in his backyard and and starts his own little garden to help feed his family. You know what I mean? Like then he can play a part and do his work and you know, he doesn't have to starve and he can help feed his family. Just like, yeah, I think especially with in our culture today, there's so much isolation and there's so much like we're all in our own bubbles and we have everything on our phone that we need, Mm -hmm. which I think part of why I love agriculture and the thought of growing food for people mm-hmm. is it gives me a venue to get out of my bubble. Like yes. I'm out here with my social anxiety, just yes, like needing to right. be in my own space. But <laughs> like if I've grown extra tomatoes, like mm-hmm. that is something I can walk up to somebody. I can walk up to my neighbor next door and say, Hey, I have some extra. Do you want these? Yes. Now I've brought myself out of my bubble. Mm-hmm. I've met someone who I don't know what they're struggling with. I don't right. know if they know anybody. I don't know. And I think that like, that opportunity pulls back to everything we're talking about, everything Mm -hmm. you're saying of like, how can we build something? How can we create this? And like having food to share Mm -hmm. is like such an exciting way to like do that. Like that is what Jesus did. Like on the last supper, like he sat sat his disciples down and he shared a meal with them and had a very serious conversation. But it's like, a lot of scripture talks about just breaking bread and sharing food. And that is like, there's something special about that. It's intentional. And it's just, it's something that has been overlooked. It's one of those things in our society that's just been made so convenient and packaged. And, you know, you freaking hit a few buttons on your phone and somebody's going to deliver it to your door. You don't have to go say anything to the cashier. It's not a, I'm not throwing shade to anybody that does that. (laughs) Uh, But it's like, but they they although there's so much gained from that and we are all like so grateful for that convenience right. we also need to be honest about what's lost and right. i think that so many communities even here in florida can teach us like the beauty with sharing a meal together like again i was in Immokalee yesterday and mm-hmm. we were eating these t- tortillas that had been made from the garden that had made from corn that was grown that had been handmade they were still warm and this salsa that again had been made and like that is there's depth there that we miss out when we're eating by ourselves in front of a tv there's not Mm -hmm. that community there's not that depth Mm -hmm. and i think there is healing in food i think we can all say Mm -hmm. that food yeah has healing because yeah i'm I'm, yeah yeah no i hear you i hear you 100 percent. that is so cool um I hope that everybody's getting to kind of experience a little, because for me and you, we get, we can see this stuff. We can taste it. We can feel it. It's so tangible because we're in it every day. Um, People that, you know, work at a desk or are so far removed from, you know, what we do, 
it's like it may be harder for them to kind of see it from this perspective but i'm telling you what the world can be changed through food Mm -hmm. and through community and talking to each other and taking care of each other so um i'm super passionate about this subject so i want to touch on a couple things before we wrap up um so tell me a little bit about propagation because that is one of the main things you do right yeah 100 percent. what does that look like how do you even do that yeah so the term propagation you know we can all think of a bunch of things but like Mm -hmm. in general propagation is how we're going to take a plant that we want or qualities of a plant that we want and maintain that through you know it can be as simple as saving the seeds from a plant and planting them out again into into the soil yeah or it could be taking cuttings of a plant and planting it or putting it in water or putting it in soil so there's cutting there's division there's seed mm-hmm. germination um and that and uh, a lot of what i do at echo has to do with grafting um, okay because here in florida we can do a lot with fruit trees um and most trees need um quite a bit of time to fruit but you can cut down that time by grafting um also we have very sandy soils here yes and so a big reason that we graft trees is because we can take um, root stock, so the root base of mm-hmm. a tree that is well adapted to Florida soil is nematode resistant or whatever. Right. It's good for well drained sandy soils that we have here. And so we have that root stock system. And then I'm going to take budwood or a bud from another tree mm-hmm. that I really like because maybe it tastes really good. It produces really good fruit, or maybe it has good disease resistance, or maybe it's whatever the reason I like this other tree, I'm then going to take a piece of budwood from that tree and graft it on top of the rootstock. And now I have this best of both worlds of wow. the rootstock that's great for this soil. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to be actually growing out into this other variety that is either tastes really good or for whatever reason i've decided to hold on to that one type of variety so that's a way to hold on to a tree that maybe this tree is starting to die back well i can save some of it and put it onto a new tree or um it's also going to produce fruit faster because that budwood Uh is coming from a tree that might be 20 years old it's producing fruit but my rootstock is only one year old Mm -hmm. well now i'm putting this 20 year old rootstock onto this vigorous new root growth and it's going to start producing fruit so much faster than if you just put a seed in the ground and also a lot of like a life hack it's like you get 20 years and it's like that's 100 percent. yeah so there's so many different ways to to graft um Mm -hmm. i'd love to show you what we have at echo anyone come see what we're doing i think it's literally wild um and so there's that there's also air layering um which is again it's just that one is where you're gonna um just push root growth Mm -hmm. on something and and that's a practice that people do sometimes when they're trying to prune a tree okay so you just choose the limbs that you're trying to prune anyways Mm -hmm. and you just come up to that um stem that you're trying to prune off and you just peel back the bark and you trick it into thinking that it's underground by putting moss around it by 
taping it up, putting wet moss around it. Mm -hmm. And it's tricking those cells into thinking that it's underground and it's going to start rooting out. So now you have it wrapped up in this moss and it's rooting out. And then maybe three months later, you can just come by, clip it off. And now you have a new tree that's just there and you didn't have to worry about it. And that creates a new tree? Yeah. And it's it's technically that same age as the old tree. So it would still be able to fruit in the same way that the old one did. And you know, it's probably... If it's made it that long, it's probably been through some kind of attacks from pests, fungus, or diseases. And that probably is resistant to a lot of those because if it's the same stock, that is crazy. That's like mind-blowing. It's so cool. Yeah. That stuff is a lot of fun. People yeah. people are like, yeah, just leave games, just play it. It's <laughs> like, no, I'm out here blood, sweat, and tears trying to get this graft. I'm like, I'm out here grinding. That is so yeah. cool. And so um, do you put moss around it and wet moss and then it? Does it stay wet or how does it stay wet? Yeah, so um, you're going to wrap it up. You know, it kind of looks like a burrito. I think you're at Chipotle just wrapping it yeah. up in its, in its little burrito. And then um, most of the time it shouldn't dry out. You're really wanting it to be tight. We'll tie it on the ends to really keep it up in there. Um, if if it's in a healthy environment, there's probably going to be rain, mm-hmm. and you're really looking for the branches that are that are pointing upward because you wouldn't want to air layer a branch that's pointing downward because that's its growth habit. And when okay. you plant it, it's going to like kind of lean towards that way. So we're looking for branches that are pointing upwards, anyways. And so when there is rain, the rain would hypothetically Continue. be coming into that air that layer so and cool. be creating just life. And that. Then- is wild. So that's propagation. Um, for what are the some of the other main things that you do at Echo? Yeah. So, you know, when you work for a nonprofit and everybody kind of just ends up doing everything. Literally kinda, everything. It's like a small business. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's like, like I own. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um. So I'm out here grinding a lot, but. I love I love everything. Um, it's really cool to do outreach. I think that's my favorite part. I mm-hmm. really love getting to see other folks get excited yeah. about what they could do in mm-hmm. their own communities. Um, right. So we have eight interns that come to Echo. Eight of them. Eight interns. They come. They live on campus. They're in charge of an area. Really? They are getting a master's certificate in tropical agriculture. So they have classwork and they have their field work, their demonstration area that they're taking care of. So once a week. I'm teaching them, um, and we're still a production nursery, so I'm producing. producing. Yeah. I got all of my fruit. Like I, I'm out there doing that. I have me and my assistant and some incredible volunteers from mm-hmm. the community that come and help us out twice a week. Um, so whether I'm prepping for a training, whether I'm doing a training, whether I'm out there just pulling weeds because mm-hmm. it's rainy season in Florida yep, and we're and you struggling. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> um, it's never a dull moment, but yeah. it's really things that really bring life and it's really wonderful. That is so cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I think we definitely need to do uh, another one to dive into some of the stuff we didn't touch on. Um, but we will be shooting some videos probably in the next couple of weeks of some of this grafting stuff to yeah. show you guys some demonstration. So that'll be incredibly fun. Um, but thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. This was a gift. Sweet. Thanks for listening in. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Brought to you with support from Fort Myers Garden Service, maintaining and protecting business and residential landscapes. Visit fortmyersgardenservice.com or call 239-990-7494.